Hi, friends. This is episode 12 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. I'm so thankful that you've joined back with us here for another episode of this podcast. I have to tell you, this session, you are going to need a box of tissues. I just listened back to it, and I have to tell you, I was so moved when I listened again to this episode and to hear what each of these community members shared this week. It is so raw, it is so real, and it's so moving. And I have to say, the second time listening to it here, I think I caught even more than I did during the session. Now, in this episode, I actually give an introduction to tell you a little bit more about what we're talking about. So I'm not going to waste your time here in the intro talking specifically about where we're going. But here at the beginning, I'm letting you start out by listening to our yes and no section. This is where we raise yes and no cards to respond to the statements that I make. And what I want you to do to kind of help you see where you are and and where the revolution in your own thoughts and your own theology come I want you to answer yes or no to the statements you're about to hear because I think it will really have a great effect on how you listen to the preceding conversation. God bless you. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Bible Lab. If you agree with the statement, raise yes. If you disagree with the statement, raise no. Number one, tough life experiences beat people down. They don't make people stronger. Yes or no? Ah, see, you're groaning with your cards. I see a bunch of yes and no cards at the same time, but predominantly I'm seeing, hold them up high so I can see, I'm seeing a majority, like 90% of no's, and about with mixed in with those no's, because I'm seeing those too, it's hard to tell. I'm seeing about 30% of you are saying maybe, maybe. I did not see anyone raise a yes card. Did anyone raise a yes card? Okay, here's, here's a couple, a couple. Okay, so we have a couple of souls who are brave enough to say they said yes. Tough life experience beat people down. They don't make people stronger. Number two, optimistic people do not struggle with bitterness. Optimistic people do not struggle with bitterness. Oh, wow. Okay, once again, about 90% no. We have several yeses and a lot of maybes, maybe 10% of maybes raised up there. But most of you are saying no. Optimistic people do struggle with bitterness. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Number three, God purposely leads you into situations that can make you bitter. God purposely leads you into situations that can make you bitter. Oh, we are so split on this, but it looks like about 65% no and 35% yes with a bunch of maybes mixed in there, which means that most of you think that God does not purposely lead you into situations that can make you bitter. Anyone want to change your vote? It's too late. Number four, God leads you into tough situations to test whether you'll stay with him or not. Yes or no? God leads you into situations to test whether you will leave him or not. 
Okay, this is a very mixed group, 50-50, 50-50. If you were raised like I was, I heard this a lot. When they say the word God tests you, he's testing to see how serious you are. Anybody grow up with that theology? Yes or no? Yeah? Yeah. The same people raising the yes cards. Okay. Number five, after you follow God's commands, he saves you. After you follow God's commands, he saves you. Whoa, okay. It is a sea of no cards with some yes cards. After you follow God's command, he saves you. Many of you will be shocked today when you see the behavior of God. God did not act very godly in today's story. What's his problem? I thought he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So we're going to see an inconsistency today from what many of you have grown up believing about God. You follow him and then you're saved. This is dangerous ground, isn't it? Those of you that specialize in understanding how are you saved, you're already getting tense. Relax, it's okay. Let someone rub your neck sitting next to you. It's going to be okay because we're going to let God speak for God and see what the Bible says about God's behavior. We are in the process of going through a series. This is part two of a series called Life in the Wilderness. What we're looking at is what happened between the time of the Exodus, the actual marching out of Egypt by the Hebrews into the wilderness and follow them into their promise. We're going to take a look at eight snapshots of the experience of the Hebrews trying to get to know the character of God as they stepped out of slavery and into salvation. And so as we're watching this group last week, we saw that uh, God possibly needs a GPS unit because he marched them all over the place and even made them backtrack for miles the same path that they had walked. And we looked at that and we said, what does this say about the character of God? Today we pick up the story. The people had just crossed through the Red Sea. God had opened up a way, even though it looked like God had trapped them. God set up a situation to show if you trust me, even in a situation that seems impossible, I will make a way. And he opened up a way. They marched through the Red Sea, got to the other side. The sea closed up, and they stepped from slavery into freedom. First day of their life of freedom. Up until that time, they were still in Egypt. They're just runaway slaves. The first day of their life they are no longer runaway slaves. They are now a free nation. They're there on the banks, and they're stomping their feet, dancing, raising their voices to God, and then three days later, they're stomping their feet, and they're raising their voices to Moses. Today, we're going to see what happened. Why did God do something to make the people bitter? To start out, I want you to share some real-life experiences. What's happened in your life? Have you ever asked God for help and things got worse? How'd you feel in that moment? Anybody? You ever asked God for help and things got worse? Raise a comment card and we'll get a microphone to you right away. Yes, ma'am. 
I had an experience last year when my husband got sick. We prayed, my family prayed, but my answer was, was a no. Yeah. And I'm still struggling with that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Because you just spoke the same words that many people in here are thinking. I prayed. I went to the Bible lab every week, even when Pastor Ice was not there. <laughs> I got to get something for that. And yet the cancer continued to grow. The child continued to plummet in health. My parent continued the path to the grave. You still lost the child. What do you do when you're following the pillar of cloud and that cloud leads you into a place of bitterness? What do you do? Anybody else? An experience where you've asked God for help, but things got worse. My former husband had remarried, and he had suffered a, a very bad stroke. He um, could continue to uh, go downhill, and he was, uh, he was alive for several years. And uh, his new wife called for them to uh, anoint him, I think, three or four different times. Mm. But he never got better mm. and subsequently passed away. Yeah, exactly. What do, you, what do you do when even an anointing prayer doesn't work? My mom's here. She can vouch for me. Uh, I've shared with you a story, um, and it's on one of our early uh, podcasts now, the story of being born with leukemia and a pastor coming over with some elders doing an anointing prayer, and I no longer had leukemia as an infant. Uh, it, the rest of the story is very interesting. At age 18, my mom calls me. I'm at boarding school, and she says, hey, uh, you're never going to believe this. I found Pastor Radcliffe, the one who prayed for you and anointed you, and you were healed because of his anointing prayer. Um, so I'm in Dallas. He's having an anointing prayer uh, second week of, of December. Would, would you like to be part? He wants you to be part of that prayer for him. I was like, absolutely. Can you imagine the, the excitement of being able to be part of an anointing prayer for the guy that anointed you and you're alive and breathing because of his anointing, anointing prayer? And so I was like, absolutely. Went up there. I, I can't tell you how fervently I prayed. I was just like, God, you know. This man, he's not only with me, but countless other lives, he's, he's changed. And, uh, you know, I know you can do it. I, I, had, I was full of faith because I was full of life. And so, incredible prayer. And, and it was just a matter of months later that he succumbed to cancer. You know God can do it. You know God is good. You know He has the ability to do it. But what do you do when instead of leading you to your miracle story, your testimony, God leads you to a test? Yes, ma'am. It seems impossible to do, but you praise God anyway. Hmm. Yeah. It's hard to do. We lift our voices to God during bitter situations, but it's hard to lift it in praise. We usually lift it in complaint. 
It's interesting to read the Psalms. David, a man after God's own heart, who every other Psalm that you read is, way to go, God, and then the next one is, where'd you go, God? What do you do when the bad people prosper and the good people suffer and you're one of the good people? Harvey. I was visiting another church some distance from here. And in the Sabbath school class, a mother shared that her daughter's dearest friend had cancer of the brain and was dying. Hmm. And the daughter was praying and the friend was getting worse. What should she do? Hmm. And a pastor's wife sitting next to me said, she should pray harder. I could have hit her. I didn't. But that was yeah. my reaction. I, I would have hit her, but <laughs> that's because I'm not as mature and experienced as you are, Harvey. Um, what does, it, it, this gets to the core of what this community is all about. What do your statements about God say about God? You're just not praying hard enough. Isn't that the joke that Elijah said on Mount Carmel? Maybe you're not praying loud enough. Well, how many times did Elijah have to pray? Once. In fact, Elijah made it even worse for those people who were dancing and cutting themselves around by saying, why don't you yell louder? Our translations say, perhaps he's away or on vacation. That is not the literal translation. Elijah, being Elijah, said, perhaps your God is on the toilet. That's the literal translation. Who says the Bible's boring? So when someone says, maybe you're not praying hard enough, the Bible says wherever two or three, maybe it's because you're praying privately and, and to yourself. Maybe you're not working out a formula to appease a God who doesn't care about you. Maybe you're not doing enough to make God care about this. What does that say about your God? It's not the God I serve, and it's not the God I find in Scripture. Yeah, my mom passed away when I was 17 of cancer, and uh, I blame God for it. But uh, thankfully, uh, things turned around, and I started going to church and may, was born again. Uh, sometimes we, we want God to do all the things that we want, and we want to keep people alive around us, even ourselves. But we sometimes forget that God is a sovereign God, and what He does, He does it because He is God. Yeah. We're just... You know, his child, his children, I mean, and we just, you know, have to be thankful and grateful for whatever he does. Like Job said, God has given, God has taken, blessed be our God. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful testimony. For those of you that still have your comment cards up, you're still going to be able to give your comment because what we're going to do is we're going to continue into the Bible text, but you'll see that these comments and these testimonies still have a very significant place within where we're going in the Scripture. So please, uh, those that have the microphones, uh, let them hang on to the mic. You're going to have, um, you're going to have the next... Uh, chance to speak, but I want us to open up the Word, and I want us to add an extra filter to this conversation. And that's, uh, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. 
Exodus chapter 15, 22 through 24. Would someone be willing to read that for us? Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Sur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? How did the people get to Marah? Were they wandering? How did they get to Marah? They were led by God. Because Scripture tells us that they went from place to place based upon with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. So they did not stumble across Marah. They were led to Marah. Does God lead people into bitter situations? We have to ask the question, why, if your answer is yes. Because obviously God led them there. He could have led them directly to the next spot, Elim, a place with 12 sources of water and 70 trees. He didn't. He led them to this place. Now, those of you that have the mics, I want you to share your experience now, and we're going to place this extra layer of God at times, not all the time, but God at times leads you to bitter water. Heinz. Sometimes we think that anointing is only one time, and that's Mm. good for life. But I have experienced a different way. When I was about eight years old, my brother came home from work, and I was laying there, I could not breathe anymore. I would have suffocated for some reason. And uh, he survived me. And uh, these things occurred on a regular basis, probably every uh, three, four, five months. And so I thought, I have to do something about it. And I learned about anointing again, looked at it. And so I said, okay, I let, so they, I asked for anointing and they did, didn't help. I continued. It was in Germany. From there, I went to Australia. I uh, looked around and see whether I had somebody that really believed in anointing. Yes, again I was anointed. That was not good either. So I went to India. There in school, it happened again. Uh, I asked for anointing again. Did not help. So I said, I have to be healed. So I went to America. Texas, Keene, Texas, and there it happened again. I said, and there was a, a minister, a, a evangelist, and uh, I thought, this man may be able to help me. And so I talked to him, and uh, we arranged for anointing again. We were about four elders, myself and the minister. And we went down to pray, and when we when he said, Amen, I knew I was healed. It was, there was no question about it. <laughs> it was fantastic. So I, um, from then on, it never happened again. I knew I was healed. So I would like to, to encourage others. When there is a, a problem and we ask the Lord, it may not be answered right away. But we should not give up hope unless we lose out on the blessing that we can receive. I I love that testimony, Heinz, because it reminds me of Christ's parable of the persistent widow. I don't understand that parable. 
I've studied it, studied it, studied it. Guess what? I think we need to study it in this class in the future when we look at Christ's parables again. Um, but there's something in some situations that seems like persistence is the key. Um, and I would think that perhaps in four months when we're back on the topic of the Holy Spirit, perhaps we should do a whole session on the anointing uh, prayer. Uh, would, you, would you guys be open to that? Yeah, definitely. Because I think it's, it's something we need to dig into to understand the character of God because we can become quite confused with how much is saying you're not praying hard enough and how much is saying uh, you just have to pray once uh, and God hears you. So I, I think we need to dig into this to understand God's character more. I don't know who was the next uh, person for the mic. Over here? Okay. Okay, I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but um, when I, a prayer I pray isn't answered, I don't blame God. I don't. I blame myself. I automatically say, "Well, am I living a life? I must not be living a life that God can bless, or, you know, I must not have enough faith." And if I was in the children of Israel, I wouldn't blame Moses. I'd say, "Oh man, why did I follow this guy? It's my fault. <laughs> I should have known." So yeah. I don't know if anyone else does that, but when I don't get the answer I want, I turn it inward. Yeah. I'm and, not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, and that is a consistent view with many of the people here and the prominent view of when Christ came in the flesh, whenever someone was under some affliction, they would ask the question, well, who sinned? Did you sin or your, or your parents sin? Looks like another topic we need to dig into to understand the character of God. Who Over was here. next? Right here. Thank you. Jay. Yeah. A lot of things come to mind. I'll, I'll keep it brief, though. But uh, I resonate with several things that, uh, that other people have said. But one thing that really helped Martha and I out over the last many years, probably from the mid-90s on, was a, a book by Merlin Carruthers. It's called Prison to Praise. I don't know how many people have, have read that book. But basically... His thesis is that in the worst circumstances that you have, that you praise God and you not only praise Him in spite of those circumstances, He suggests you actually praise Him for those circumstances and then sit back and watch to see what God does. And it's, it's happened many times. Um, amazing things happened but not everything turns out my wife died yeah. I didn't want her to die yeah. but I'm still praising God in spite of um, all of those things and it, it does frustrate me a, uh, quite a bit that people that talk about well it must have been God's will <laughs> I don't think hardly any of the things that are happening here on earth is God's will and it just tells me that God is not fully in charge of what's happening here on the earth yet. Mm -hmm. And he has given us a lot of responsibility, mm -hmm. spiritual authority and spiritual responsibility here on this earth, and I'm not sure that we've taken up mm -hmm. nearly enough of that responsibility and authority to change. You know, we talk about, you know, we want to, protect the 
natural environment, but who's protecting the spiritual environment? Hmm. Jay, we could do a whole series on your comments right here. <laughs> we can break that down into eight segments. I, I, I completely agree. These are the things that we need to continue digging into to understanding the very nature and character of God because my fear is the same as yours. A lot of people have been saying things about the will of God, but they obviously don't know the character of God because they'd never say that that was the will of God. And so I think that's what makes this group uh, so contagious. Why we keep coming back and growing every week is because we're finding a consistent character of God that is contradicting this character of God that never made sense and made God this tyrant or this uncaring God. How could you say God is love and Him have within His will that your wife would die? It doesn't make sense. And one of the things that we do in this community, remember, is anytime someone says a theological thought, no matter how old or young, knew that this thought is, if the answer that you come up with to that teaching is anything other than God is love, that teaching is heresy. Because God is love. That's our control here. And so thank you for sharing, Jay. I, I can't help... But think about a statement that, that I've heard in, in the past. I don't know how true it is, but I, I know it holds up uh, for the, most of the part, uh, where people say, you can't have a testimony without a test. Your testimony is your test. The testimony is not, I gave my heart to God, and then just like the TV preacher said, my finances got better, my relationships got better. Look at my house now. Since I gave my heart to God, every bit of offering I get, I gave, I get 10 times back. Give your heart to God. You'll get everything you want. That's what the TV guy told me. So you gave your heart to God, and he led you to bitterness, a bitter experience. One more comment back here. Yes. Um, one day I was uh, about to leave the house and I remember putting the keys by the kitchen table and when I was going to leave the house, I could not see the keys anymore. I was looking everywhere and I thought maybe I left it upstairs so I go up and when I went up, I heard a bump, like a bump sound, like really loud, like something really drastic happened. I'm like, what happened? And I go everywhere in the house, and I don't see anything. And I'm looking for my keys, too, because I had to leave, and I was going to be late. And I keep praying, Lord, what's going on? What's going on? So I went out the kitchen door, and guess what had happened? The garage door had collapsed. And it was about 800 pounds door. Hmm. If I had gone, something would have happened to me and my car. Hmm. But when I turned around, I finally saw the keys that I had left there. So I saw the mercy of God. I saw that, that yeah, I was going to be late, but God delayed things so that a disaster worse than that could have mm. not happened. So yeah. I saw yeah. the, the hand of God. Absolutely. And it's, it's awesome when he leads you to safety. And he leads you away from the danger. Um, 
that shows that God cares. Today we're wrestling with the next step. He led them through safety. He led them through the Red Sea. They saw the hand of God. The tons of water did not fall on them. It fell on the Egyptians. They sing praises to God, and they make three days' journey, and then God leads them <laughs> to death. What do you do with a God that leads you to that situation? Thad, you've had your hand up for a while. I can't help but question. I, I was going to make a comment, but I question <clears throat> whether the problem is in our understanding. Because even what I'm hearing among us here, I, I struggle and have struggled with myself, and that's to sanitize it. If you do something, Pastor Ice, that I don't like... Every I'll week, you know. by the way, yeah. <laughs> I let you know, and I do let him know outside of class. <laughs> and just so you know, he does. He does, yeah. So <laughs> I think we're making it kind of cotton candy, pretty cloud yep. with God. Yeah. Because when my mother died, a horrible death from pancreatic cancer, I was angry. And that is not to say that I didn't learn to put my trust in God, and I'm a different person today. But when we bring up praising God, it sounds real easy. Praise God in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. But that's what I did, and I think it comes from a misconcept about what happened when God led them to the bitter water. Mm -hmm. We keep struggling with, would God actually put us in that situation? And the real answer is yes. Is it a bad situation? Yes, the water was horrible. It had dead cats in it. I'm sorry, I don't like cats anyway. But, <laughs> you know, we couldn't drink it. It was bitter. Sorry. But, yeah, I know some people like cats. But the thing is, is if we go to Proverbs and we look at the word teach, when God is teaching, there's all kinds of definitions of teach. Yes. And we have that misconception as parents and as mentors and as pastors. If we teach a child in the way he should go, then voila, genie in the Bible they're going to be a good child. They're going to be a good adult. And we know from experience that is not what happens all the time. Yeah. And so if we apply that to prayer, is the problem in the answer or isn't the problem in our understanding of what is being taught? Because in the middle of an ugly struggle with pancreatic cancer, hmm. I got that answer. And at first I was angry at it. Well, just praise God. It's like, how can I praise it? My mom is suffering. She's a wonderful woman, and she's suffering. Hmm. But we did that. And the, the lesson that was taught was that understanding that where you started the Bible lab with, Jesus died a horrible, horrible death. And no matter what I see now, I always have that faith and assurance that the outcome in the end is going to be the best outcome ever. Yeah, I love it, Dad. Thank you. Always, always enlightening. They've traveled for three days. They travel for three days with no source of water. They get to some water of which the natural properties of this water reveal the natural properties of their character. The water is bitter. They are bitter. They do not have a relationship with God. So the first expression that comes from their mouth when they finally get to a water source and the water is bitter, their natural expression that flows from the well of their character 
is bitterness. They scream out to Moses instead of to God. Why? It's an easy answer, that one. Who do they know? They know Moses. They can point at Moses. How do you yell at a cloud? How do you grab a a cloud by the shirt collar and say, take it to some good water? So they march three days. Three days is actually significant. Anytime you see numbers or specific details in a Bible story, stop and take note and ask this question. Where has this number or this item shown up before within this story's context? Three days is important. Where have we heard that before? I give you a hint in parentheses on your study guide. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, it uses the term three days. Anybody remember from our series, Stranger God, what was the importance of three days journey? Ah, when they went before Pharaoh and they asked Pharaoh, let the Hebrews go into the wilderness to worship their God. And what do they say? Three days journey, and if we don't do it, what will happen? It's okay. Those of you with Bibles, you can open them. What do they say will happen if they do not take a three-day journey into the wilderness and worship God? What do they say will happen? Oh, God will strike them with diseases or death. Did God say that? Who said that? People said that. Humans said that about God. We believe they said that to Pharaoh because that was the mindset of Pharaoh about the gods. You didn't have a loving relationship with the God. You tried to appease your God because your God would strike you down, would curse you with diseases, and would hurt you. They had marched a three days journey into the wilderness to worship God. And what is their greatest fear? God had led them to a place to strike them down. God leads them the exact same distance that they said, we are going, this is our purpose for going into the wilderness is to worship our God. And in three days, they get to a three days journey away from their captivity. And at that moment, God says, okay, it's time to worship. Here's some undrinkable water. Scripture is very interesting in what it says next. In verse 25, the first half, that's why it says 25a. The first half of verse 25 says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him, showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Now, a couple of linguistic things for you word nerds that love things like I do. Um, this term, the Lord showed him, the Hebrew word is Torah. First time it exists in the first five books of the Bible. It's where we get the term Torah. The Jews use the Torah as this is the way God shows you how to be in a saved relationship with Him. 
This word is used for the first time right here. God Torah. God showed Moses. This is the way to live. This is the way to bring life to dead water. This is the way to bring sweetness into a bitter situation. Interesting thing, the Lord did not show him another source of water. The Lord showed him something that, if you look at this, there are two million Israelites. Two million. It's a large source of water. Because it's not only two million people, it's all their cattle, their flocks. It's a lot of water. And the Lord showed Moses, and depending on how you translate it, a branch of wood, a stick of wood, or a tree. Translation leans toward the first two, by the way, not a tree, or trees plural, which I've seen in a lot of these kid cartoons of the story. He takes this branch, Moses does, and he, in front of the people, throws it into the water. This huge body of water, enough to feed, uh, to uh, quench the thirst of two million plus their flocks. And the water changes from bitterness to sweetness. Now, I know a lot of people have tried to figure out, now, what type of tree has the properties of changing bitter water into drinkable water? Let's just put that thing to rest. No stick of wood has the properties to affect that much water. It reminds us of of a story when Elijah takes this uh, bowl of salt and spreads it out into the water and then says, now the water's good, it won't cause illness and disease uh, to your people anymore. It's symbolic. I have a question. Why did God have Moses do that instead of Moses just saying, hey, try it. Okay, God says try it again. And no visible sign of change. Why did God have Moses do that? I don't know. But I know that um, he had Moses use a stick before to turn to a snake and to turn back into a stick. I know he used a stick again to raise over the Red Sea, to divide the Red Sea. I, I know he uses this stick here to change the bitter water to clean water. I know he uses a stick later on with a serpent on it. Um, to heal the people, and I know he uses another stick in the future to die on to save our lives. We're going to get there next week when we talk about the fact that there has always been a serpent and a stick throughout the story of the Bible. But here he throws it in, the water becomes sweet, great to drink water again. So what does this say about God's character? It seems God is simply saying, trust me. He had worked miracles for them. This really is another miracle. He's saying, look to me. Depend on me. I will provide for you. And perhaps he used Moses to help build their confidence in his leadership. I love it. Um, in relation to what you mentioned about the three days, God gave the Israelites three days. My, God gave me years to go through that one and also from bitterness to the sweet mm-hmm. uh, results. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, 
I've been a missionary to Africa for four years. Hmm. Lost our first child there also. Hmm. Came home after almost dying with malaria. Um, and lost my mom when I came to the U.S. Hmm. The experiences that I've gone through has caused me to look up and ask God. Hmm. Was I bitter about all those experiences? I, I asked myself first, was I saying the right prayer? Was I asking God the right things? Hmm. But after so many years of asking, as I said, the three days became years for me. Yeah. I'm in the me medical field, and the experiences I've gone through, my mom passed away from a ruptured aneurysm, cranial aneurysm, mm. and that is my specialty right now. Mm. I did not ask for that, yeah. but God gave me the experience, and even for my child that I've lost, what we've lost in, in, in Kenya, she died of uh, malaria and spina bifida. Mm. I also do the same specialty with neurosurgery. Yeah. Why did God give me those experiences? I don't know. Mm. But I'm able to save and help the surgeons save the very patients that I went through the experience, a hard and painful one. Yeah. So I said, if I have to go through that just for me to understand what life is all about and what trust in God is all about, then I say thank you. Hmm. Amen. That's powerful, man. When we go through our series on how God introduced his character in the book of Acts, coming up not too long, um, we're going to talk about being on the devil's radar. Uh, interesting story. I'll give you a preview Seven sons of Sceva, these Jewish magicians uh, that would go and cast out demons, come into a man's house, and they try using the name of Jesus, even though they don't believe in the name of Jesus. And the demon says back to him, he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? They weren't on the devil's radar. And it wasn't until they got onto the devil's radar that they were beaten and stripped naked and ran out of the house. There are some of us who feel beaten and naked and run out of the house because we've come onto the devil's radar. We're going to talk about what happens when you actually step into your purpose and what happens in those times. But it's tough as the Israelites are stepping into their purpose. The very first baby steps into understanding who God even is, their baby steps come into this bitterness. And like you had mentioned, you've gone through years, not just three days. And many of you can absolutely agree with that. You're going to see that God brings them there. He shows them an object lesson. And while they're quenching their parched thirst and saying, oh, okay, maybe there, maybe there really is this thing to God not abandoning us and not allowing us to die in the desert. And while they are drinking in water of life, God says this in the next half of verse 25. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and He put them to the test. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, 
I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What kind of test is this? They're out here and God says, I'm going to put you to the test. For sake of time, I'm going to share with you the language here. The word for test is not what you think. This is not a pass-fail test. If you believe me, I'll save you. If you don't believe me, I'll kill you. That's not the character of God. The word used for test here in Hebrew is nisa. Nisa means train. It doesn't mean examination. God says, I will put you into training. He's not saying, I'm seeing if you're serious. And just like the yes-no question we had to answer before, God leads you into tough situations to test whether you'll stay with him or not. That's not what the scripture says. God leads you into the bitterness of life in order to train you. This is not to make you weaker, it's to make you stronger. In fact, almost everywhere, except for one, 19 places in Scripture in the New Testament, wherever it says God tests man's heart, it doesn't use an examination term. It uses the exact same term for refining fine metal. He's making you more priceless. God does not beat you down. He trains you. And those of you who have been part of CrossFit or any workout program, you know training puts you to the test, but it's not pass-fail. It's self-improvement. And here God says, if you will listen to me, to my decrees, I will put you into training. I will make you spiritually fit. You got to be spiritually fit before I lead you through the land that you're going to have to take. So God does not say, I'm testing to see whether you'll follow me or go your own way. He's saying, I'm training you to make you stronger so that you'll listen to my decrees more consistently. And you'll trust me that even though you come into a bitter situation, you'll trust that this situation will truly make you stronger to face, God forbid, an even greater situation in the future. Because as bad as this situation is, you're still living and another situation is coming. Because just like what Jay said, we're, although we are God's followers, we are in Satan's territory. We are not of this world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And the prince of this world is the prince of darkness. And so we have to be in training. So God says he would do that, which brings up a huge question. Were the Israelites saved before or after they received and kept the commandments? So the Israelites were actually saved before they ever received the Ten Commandments. You know how long it is from this moment until they receive the first of the Ten Commandments? 30 days. They're still a month out from receiving the Ten Commandments. And God is saying, if you'll follow what I say and listen to what I'm trying to suggest in your life, if you'll go into this training, I will bless you. When did they cross the Red Sea? When did they leave Egypt? Long before the commandments. They did not have the commands of God. God says, I will save you so that you'll understand what my commandments mean. I save you so that you'll want to take a look at my commandments. You're not saved because you looked at the commandments and said, if I keep all of these, he'll take me through the hard times. He'll take me through the Red Sea. He'll change the bitterness to sweet. That's not why you keep the Ten Commandments. It's to get that stuff in the future. You follow God and you live as a person who is saved. 
went from slave to sin into new person in Christ, freedom in Christ, and now with new vision, a different filter, you look at Sinai and you say, okay, you saved me. What can I do? What can I do to continue in a safe relationship? I am in the enemy's territory. What are some things I need to know and look at to protect myself while I'm living in the enemy's land? Many of us live our life just like um, was shared earlier, that perhaps the reason why I'm going into bitterness is because I haven't kept the commandments to the level or I haven't done what I need to do. God saved these people while they still didn't know who he was. It's not the level of your knowledge or friendship to God that releases the saving power of God. It is the saving power of God that saves you. And then you say, I've got to know more about this God. Wow. Did I tell you or did I tell you? This was a very moving session. I hope you join us for the next episode because in episode 13, you're going to see the Israelites as they face their first battle and a new hero emerges, a very strapping, handsome young man. And so you want to come back and find out how does God display his character at the first physical battle his children must face. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you are planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.